She's got a haircut that says, why, yes, I did build those benches. She's Franny Choi. <laughs> and they're a song that goes, them, they, them, them, they, them. It's Denise Smith. <laughs> and you're listening to Verses, the podcast where poets confront the ideas that move them. I know nobody can see right now because we're an audio podcast, but I'm wearing pink and you just blessed me with a Cameron song. And I'm just like, wow, we've come full circle. It is my 2003. Again. <laughs> I'm always I'm always happy to provide the, the Cameron anthem to your entrance to a podcast. Wow. Wow. Look at you singing Cameron dang near married to Cameron. You're just you're just dipset for any. It's me. It's me, everybody. <laughs> Franny Santana. Yeah. Uh, how you doing, Franny? New season, new us. <laughs> oh, my stars. New season, new us. Season five. We are super seniors. <laughs> five of them things. We still ain't graduated. Uh-uh. No. 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 It's the last year of our fellowship money. Hopefully, we'll be able to finish our dissertations. And Because if not, we will be broke forever. <laughs> but guess what? I'm still putting PhD in my goddamn Twitter bio. <laughs> <laughs> Degree or not. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, um, I think it's so amazing that we've gotten to do this for four seasons and that we're going to be able to do it for a fifth one. Um, We do want to make one brief announcement before we go into um, season five, which is an announcement that says that this is officially Denez and Daniel and my last season working on Versus. And we believe that there will be a Versus in the future, next year, 2022, um, but that we will not be a part of it. There's more information on the way, um, but that is the information that we have that we are able to share with you all right now. Yeah. You know, don't cry for us, Argentina. Um, <laughs> don't you, you know, do it, Argentina. <laughs> don't you Shut do it, Argentina. Argentina. <laughs> we'll give you more info later, Argentina. Um, but, you know, we are, it's been four wonderful seasons um, to get to sit here um, with you, Franny, and to um, with Daniel, our producer, um, and talk to some of our favorite poets, meet new poets, um, and build this wonderful archive and get to have this conversation, not only with poets, but with y'all at home. Um, and so we're just so excited to bring one more season of the show. We'll have more details details about what that transition or stepping away might look like uh, later in the year. But for right now, it's just another, it's same old, same OG, new year, new us, but the same old shit. Yeah. Questions, poems, goofiness, maybe too much cussing, <laughs> uncomfortableness, <laughs> awkward transitions. That's what you're here for. Versus coming at you for the fifth motherfucking time. God damn it. Now let's let this shit ring. Franny, icebreaker question. <laughs> Here's your icebreaker question for today. <laughs> Right now, I have this voice. And so I'm doing it this way. <laughs> I, love, I love watching you get, just hype yourself up. It's like a it's like a kid that's like, that's like stayed up a little bit too long past his bedtime, you know? And they just like are just working themselves up into a frenzy. Um, that's that is me. I've just, I'm still five. <laughs> I've just never went to sleep. So I never <laughs> technically had a birthday. <laughs> I haven't just slept running since on, 1994. <laughs> I'm running on caffeine and trauma at this point. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, baby. Oh, oh no, so no, no. So say we all. Okay, but icebreaker question to start off. Icebreaker show. question. Talking about uh, building up to hype up your trauma. Yeah. Um, oh my stars. What is which is what? What else is a poetry slam? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you on stage at a poetry slam, or just in the vicinity of a poetry slam? Maybe <laughs> just like when a poetry slam was in. Yeah, maybe it was like in the hallway. Yeah. Radius. <laughs> um, I was with like a group of poets who was visiting a high school. We were, I think that it was like we had, um, we were doing like a mock slam in, at like a high school auditorium to like get the youth interested in poetry. And um, usually those things are like very exciting and very fun. And like the excitement from young people that comes out of events like that is like totally electric, which is great. And this time I was young and ambitious and decided to do a poem that was that I thought was just like a very impressive poem. It was this poem called Wire Woman. Oh, I like Wire Woman. Probably not in a high school. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> it's very cerebral, you know? It's mm-hmm. like it's like a postmodernist <laughs> slam poem, which I was like, the kids are gonna love this. But they, they, 
um, didn't. Exactly. Love it. Oh, no. um, and so there's like all these parts in the poem where I like make this like static noise where I'm like, mm-hmm. and the uh, and these kids, these kids in this, in this auditorium started all going like making fun of me. I was so deeply, deeply embarrassed, like to be clowned by an auditorium of high school students was just devastating to my soul and I don't think I've actually recovered. When we were talking about this earlier, like Danette saw over the Zoom <laughs> the embarrassment and trauma of this moment just take over my entire body. Like I felt- Oh, I did. I was like, girl, I don't know what the fuck you just thought, but God damn. Like, Am I, do I have a fever? Like something just came over my whole body. So anyway, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me in the context of like a poetry slam. What about you? What's the most um, embarrassing? It doesn't have to be the worst, what's the, but what's the most embarrassing? No, not the worst, but the most, I think, okay, the most embarrassing- and I have to thank yo ass for reminding me that this happened because I have I always try to put in the back of my memory. <laughs> Picture this. It was 2014 um, at the National Poetry Slam in Oakland. And um, we I was part of the new shit team coming out of the Bay. And we were like only doing new poems. And so I had memorized like all these new poems um, that we were like premiering at the space. And I was like all excited to do this poem. And it was it was actually the first poem that I like memorized and was doing about my HIV diagnosis too. So it was like a powerful moment for me. I was like, I'm doing this. I'm doing poems about this now. You know, whatever. It's my life. Take it back. <laughs> Poetry saved my life. Um, and I get on stage and y'all, I'm doing my poem today and I am killing it. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Give me my 30s. And I'm like, and today, I forget what the last line is. I'm like, today I will live. And then I, at the last line is despite. And instead of just like saying despite like a normal person and walking off the stage, you remember Howard Dern, Howard, what was Howard that dude? Dean. Howard, Howard Dean. Dean. Howard Dean, the guy who was running for president and got uh got kicked out of the race because he got too excited and said, and like hooked his arm as if to say, like, they're great. And, <laughs> like that was me at the end of the poem. I just take my arm and I'm like, and I will live despite. <laughs> and like that was my dismount. And like, if you ever want to like kill a poem but make yourself look like the silliest of niggas in the last two seconds of it, just give a good old tone. Tony the Tiger, they're great on your last line for no reason at all. That was not practice. That was not thought through. It was just what my fucking hyped up mind was like, you know what would kill him right now? It just the <laughs> deepest, you, most honest part of you. It was so honest. It was so honest. <laughs> it was so honest. And so embarrassing. Oh. And it's on the internet. And I'm like, wow, everybody could see. But in poetry actually holds like some of my like strangest in the moment, like performance decisions. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, like, it's just like live on button poetry. <laughs> oh, God. I love oh. it. I love, I mean, honestly, like I love a good slam poem ending. For the record, I don't think that you didn't stick that lending. It was, oh, well, it you. was. <laughs> It was a funny gesture, your little fist pump <laughs> swing to the side, Popeye's arm. I, but also, it was great. And I think that, like, it's hard as young poets who are figuring out the craft of poetry to figure out how to end poems, like, in writing or performance. And I think that, like, there's something really satisfying about the ending of the poem that just slams the box shut on itself and it's mm. like here is what i've learned you know um for me one of the most amazing parts of this conversation that we are about to get into with ada limon our guest on this first episode of our fifth season is her talking about like sort of what else might be possible in the writing of a poem besides that like a epiphany at the last moment that like deus ex machina here's the big lesson for the day thing and it's like a really hard question that i think none of us exactly have the answer to but we got to some really good questions in the in pursuit of that um so we're really excited to share this episode with ada limon where we're going to talk about wisdom and living with other creatures and um asking questions that don't really have answers 
Ada Limon is the author of five books of poetry, including The Carrying, which won the National Book Critics Circle Award. Her fourth book, Bright Dead Things, was named a finalist for the National Book Award, the Kingsley Tough Poetry Award, and the National Book Critics Circle Award. She is a current Guggenheim Fellow, and her work has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, American Poetry Review, and other places, y'all. She's originally from Sonoma, California, and lives in Lexington, Kentucky. It feels like a long time coming, but um, the change has finally come, and Ada Limon is on Versus. We are so excited to bring y'all this interview. Here is Ada, who will bring us into it with a poem. So this began actually in Rio. um, And then I finally finished it in, I think in June. The Magnificent Frigate Bird. Is it okay to begin with the obvious? I'm full of stones. Is it okay not to look out this window, but look out another? A mentor once said, you can't start a poem with a man looking out a window. Too many men looking out a window. What about a woman? Today is a haunting. One last orange on the counter. It is a dead fruit. We swallow dead things. Once in Rio near Leblon, large seaboards soared over the vast South Atlantic Ocean. I had never seen them before. Eight feet wingspan and gigantic in their confident gliding, black with a red neck like a wound or a hidden treasure or both. When I looked it up, I learned it was the magnificent frigate bird. It sounded like that enormity of a bird had named itself. What a pleasure to say, I am magnificent. And two, they traveled as a team, so I wondered if they named each other, generously tapping one another's deeply forked tail or their plumage glistening with salt air, their guller sacks saying, you are magnificent. You are also magnificent. It makes me want to give all my loves adjectives they deserve. You are resplendent. You are radiant. You are sublime. I am far away from subtropical waters. I have no skills for flight or wings to skim the waves effortlessly like the wind itself. But from here, I can still imagine rapture, a glorious caught fish in the mouth of a bird. Oh, (laughs) God. I love that. I love it so much. Thank oh, you. Oh man. Oh god, the idea of those birds naming, naming each other. Magnificent. <laughs> love it so much. Uh, oh, another moment in poetry where I realized how single I am. I'm just like, oh, look at these fucking birds. <laughs> <laughs> naming each other. Oh, wow. <laughs> I also feel like um sometimes adjectives kind of get a bad rap mm-hmm. in poetry, mm-hmm. you know? It's like stop with all the adjectives and stuff. But I love how just how it like digs into adjectives and just like claims that as um as like a magic. I love that you said that because I do feel like we are so often cutting away and sort of neutering things. And I feel like especially right now during the pandemic, I'm so interested in what abundance looks like, mm. like what expansiveness looks like as opposed to that sort of snipping and snipping and snipping until the poem gets smaller. Hmm. Um, what is it to, to make it larger? That's true of those adjectives, right? You are resplendent, magnificent, sublime. Like the things that you'd be like, okay, maybe that'd be cut and workshop. <laughs> Can you say more about that? Because it seems like an expansiveness of like um, earnestness. I don't know. Yeah. Can you just say what more what you mean when you say expansiveness? Yeah. I think there's a level in which I am working against a simplicity. (laughs) And I think that I have always loved a simple poem and a a poem that feels like it does a lot with compression. As you know, I mean, that's something that I admire in both of, you know, your works, but I feel like there's a part of me also now that I'm wondering what happens if we just follow it a little longer and maybe let ourselves trip the light fantastic a bit as we go, right? And just follow it and follow it and follow it as opposed to sort of always stopping and condensing. 
And it, I, maybe it's a little bit because I'm in isolation, right? Mm-hmm. As as most of us are sheltering in place. So it feels like there's a part of me that the mind wants to have free reign. Mm. Like the mind is interested in freedom. And so I think right now, at least in my own work, that's what I've, uh, I keep exploring is, you know, what does it look like to keep saying yes to the page? Mm. Ada, I love that. I love um, it, it's like getting at this relationship maybe between stillness and expansiveness, right? Like the longer you maybe sit still, the deeper you can kind of see into these things. Um, as a poet um, who in my mind like was often traveling on the road, just like as a touring poet, but also I think at a time you were living between two places and even just like spending some time this week watching your readings, it was so wonderful to hear you often say before poems, this was in New Orleans, this poem started here, I was going to this place. So what else have you been finding um, in sort of being in your own home? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it's, as you know, we get so much of our inspiration from what we're doing at the moment. And so, I mean, how many plain poems have we written, right? More. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. And so there's this level in which like, I miss this moment of like that outside barrage of images that always kind of has the connectivity of the brain going fast and quick. Uh, and now it feels like there's a, a lot more slowness. I also feel like there's a traveling within Mm. that feels very aware of the past and perhaps the future. There's an odd sort of timelessness that's happening in my own body because I feel very aware of my own existence in space and time because I'm not hurtling through the air and I'm not showing up to a reading and I'm not, you know, it's not, it, the schedule is a little bit different, right? So I feel like the traveling is going within and it's a different kind of travel. Um and then I think the other part is, I mean, I'm, I'm just obsessed with my birds. I, you know, mm. I have three feeders going. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm obsessed with them. Uh, I have binoculars by the window. Um, yes. Oh, you're full on. Okay, I'm yeah. full on. <laughs> so, I mean, to the point where I can't, like, I keep thinking either I can't write another poem about birds or the next book is just going to be called Birds, Birds, Birds. <laughs> I think that sounds great. Honestly, <laughs> like birds, it's just birds, birds it's, by Italy one. Like that sounds really, really good. It's just going one way or the other. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> I say go for it. I do too. The birds want a book. That's for sure. I'm just gonna write down the birds want a book. Um, wait. Do you want to? Can you? Do you want to do some shout outs to your to your favorite birds on the scene right now? Right now, I um, we call it the Cardinal Happy Hour. You know, that's <laughs> the state bird of Kentucky, and I I love cardinals and. There's a certain hour in the evening, it's right before sunset, where we have almost, you know, it could be 18 to 20 that are just all over the crabapple tree, all mm. over the mulberry um, oh and the pear. And they're just everywhere. And so I, I'm always trying to be right outside during Cardinal Happy Hour and I'll scream. I'll be like, it's Cardinal Happy Hour. Um <laughs> So that <laughs> that has been a joy. Um, but yeah, I think Cardinal Happy Hours is keeping me going. <laughs> a daily joy. I also like that because it sounds like the a, the title of a person, Cardinal Happy Hour. <laughs> you know? Cardinal Happy Hour does. Yeah. <laughs> like a clue character. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Cardinal Happy Just the funnest guy in the Vatican, you know? (laughs) He's always getting himself in trouble. (laughs) Keep an eye on Cardinal Happy Hour. You never know. Uh, Ada, I'm wondering, thinking about these birds. uh, Well, okay, so for the viewers at home, it's like, I think by now, a not-so-secret that we ask our guests to fill out a pre-interview where they get to tell us, like, sort of what's on their mind, which is the whole point of this show, right? And you had mentioned not trying to fetishize nature. I guess, what does it that mean not to fetishize nature? And I was thinking, like, I do think about you as a poet of deep empathy for people and also for animals in the world. And so I'm wondering, like, I guess, what does empathy for nature look like different than maybe empathy for for humans and other uh, things in the world look like for you? I forgot I wrote that on a form. What did I mean by that? Um, we were like, I, that, that's the fun part because we always geek out at that form. We're like, ooh, that sentence, yes. <laughs> well, I think that I've been interested in how, um, what it is to kind of look at ourselves as animals. I mean, that's clearly mm. a, sort of a, a big mission of my work is to remember that we are animals too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so to come at the animal as another animal, as opposed to a colonizer, (laughs) Mm. as opposed to, you know, someone who is going to harm the animal or has the power, but also to caretake with subject matter to what is it to, to say, okay, does this bird want to be in this poem today? (laughs) Maybe it doesn't, you know, we want, we always want to turn the animal into something else, right? And sometimes I want to let the animal be. Of course, animals are symbols. Of course, they turn into our metaphors. I mean, that happens. But I also think there are moments when you just think, okay, the birds aren't going to save me, Hmm. right? They're not a metaphor for me coming out of this. What I can do with them is to watch them and pay attention and bow down to their quietude and their exactitude and smallness. But I can't ask of them everything. Mm. <laughs> and I do feel like there are times in my own work and in my own life where I've turned to the animal to like, please save me. The recognition that that can't happen is something I'm interested in. That's so rich. I'm wondering if you could walk us through, um, I want to say for our listeners, but really for me, uh, <laughs> a moment where you felt like you were looking at the poem and the sort of agency of the animal asked it to be left out. And I guess, what were you left with once you sort of don't have access to this image or the symbol that feels rich for you? Where else do you go? Yeah, I think for me, there are a couple of new poems I've been working on. Um, One of them just recently where I saw a beautiful kestrel that was on a really small branch. And I kept sort of loving this image of a heavier bird being held up by a small branch, right? And I kept thinking, I've got to do something with this. I've got to do something with this. And then really towards the end of the poem, I realized like, I want this image to somehow tell me that as the branch, I can bear more and I can bear a lot. And as the bird, I can balance on barely, you know, on something that's barely there. And yet in the poem, I recognize that it's not telling me that, Hmm. right? That that's actually all it is, is a bird doing its thing, landing where it needs to land. And, you know, I want to look at those lessons, but I also need to pull back and think, okay, Maybe it's just a noticing and that's what I my job was and not always turning it into a fable, you know, mm. or uh, an idea that will somehow rescue the speaker and in mm. case this, you know, the speaker being me. Yeah, that helps me totally see what you mean when you say allow the animal to be an animal alongside us as animals, like to just like be with them in an environment together rather than being a colonizer, like be like, oh, like, how is this tree useful for me? How is this bird useful? Mm-hmm. What can I what can I make it? Right. For? And it's not yeah. that those poems and there's beautiful poems that do that. I mean, I've done that in my own work, but I, I think there's just something recently that I feel very aware of about you know, what it is that we are, we're doing as the writer. And even Mm. with others that are human, right? Like, Mm -hmm. what are we doing with other people's stories? How are we being careful with them? I want to be more and more careful with everyone, including the animals. Mm. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. I mean, how many poems are there? It's like the old woman on the bus and she was carrying her bags. And then that's, and now I've learned a lesson about like, Whatever. And it's like, yeah. that lady was just trying to go home from the grocery store, yo. <laughs> right, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And I get it. I, I understand it. And I understand the impulse for it. And I understand the feeling. I think that that's a true feeling. You see something, you witness, and you go back and go, how am I changed by this? But there's another part of me that feels that we have a responsibility to that other human on the bus. It's just something I, I guess I'm thinking about. I don't have the answer for it or how I want to move forward with it. It's just something I've been witnessing in my own poetics as a shift. For me, I think that thought is really shifting the idea of like what the muse is in the work, right? There's a way to approach the muse that doesn't, that actually just captures the inspiration, right? And I think that's what you're trying to get at. It's like, thank you, bird, for the inspiration. I'm going to take 
the thought and leave you out of it, right? Mm -hmm. I think we do do that with people sometimes. I know I've written poems that are like about my family without being about my family, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or skirting around it and all those other kind of things. It's almost like a, a tenderness, a gratefulness that you're getting at, right? Like, let me be grateful to these things I share the world with for the knowledge they share with me mm-hmm. without putting my own weight, you know, on them. Mm-hmm. It also seems like really hard to do because I think that the expectation on the part also of a reader is to be like, oh, this person is looking at a bird on a branch. And then at the end, there will be an epiphany of like, you must change your life or like, here's or like, you know, so, here's like the lesson that you might take. And so it's like to know what else to do in place of that. Like I, hmm. it seems, I guess my question is just like, is that hard? Is it hard? It's really hard because how yeah. do you make a poem out of it? Right. I mean, right. That I guess that's what I'm interested in is like, what is the experience if you're not always having the epiphany? Hmm. Right. The pandemic has allowed me to explore that a little more hmm. because most of my epiphanies and most of my poetry truly is almost always just saying, we're all going to die. Let's be grateful. Once I kind of realized that, I kind of was like, okay, well then what is it to maybe work against epiphany or maybe work Mm. with time in a way that's different so that it feels maybe on some levels that there's not necessarily an epiphany, but there's an ongoingness. I think even in the poem I read, The Magnificent Frigate Bird, there's a level in which even though I'm putting human characteristics, right, that they're naming each other their world is created and sort of safe from us. And then there's a level in which like, oh, I I would like to do that myself. And it feels like there's not an epiphany necessarily of like, and now I have learned to be kind to my friends, right? Like there's not, I, I think that's what I'm working against is sort of that moment of where we learn the lesson. Hmm. I'm wondering about your relationship to restraint throughout your work, because, you know, you're talking now about sort of resisting epiphany. Um, I heard you talk about the carrying, about resisting um, cleverness. And so I I guess I'm just wondering, yeah, like, how do you sort of think about resistance in work now? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. I feel like it's almost like a sense of form in some ways of, Mm -hmm. okay, I have done this. Can I try something new? And for me, I love the moment that the poet has the epiphany. You know, (laughs) I love that moment. I like that's my favorite part. But I also feel like I've done that a lot in my work. And so, you know, as you create your sixth book, you start to think what are different things that I can do that maybe shifts my poetics or, you know, how can I mirror who I am as Ada Limon in real human form and Ada Limon on the page and not just be writing the same poem over and over again. So I don't know if it's about restraint or if it's about permission for exploration of something I haven't tried before. Mm. I want to ask sort of like what besides or what that something else might be, especially in relation to epiphany, because I think that this is also kind of something that maybe I've seen poets that I've taught struggle with, like lots of poems that sort of like end on the like bang epiphany because they don't know how else to get out of the poem, you know? And I think that I've been wanting to try to give them tools for what else to do besides that. So, I mean, this is also like a problem of, not a problem of, but like a um, a facet of like the genre of the slam poem is that it needs to have a big lesson at the end. Um, and I think that it's been a long journey of trying to figure out what else might be possible. So what else can people do besides that? I think that's such a good question because I don't have an answer for it. Um, I don't think anyone does, but I think that one of the things that I'm interested in is how a poem moves, right? How it travels, how it begins in a different place and ends in a different place. I'm interested in that sense of ongoingness. Instead of epiphany, sometimes in its place is surrender. And sometimes the thing that you have to surrender is wisdom. And what is it to work towards an unknowing? What is it to come to the page 
to say, I don't know anything. And I don't know if I've learned anything. (laughs) And I don't know what to offer. But this happened. (laughs) You know, I mean, what... How does the poem look differently with some of the things that we are traditionally brought to the page with, which is sometimes it's a question, sometimes it's an image, and sometimes it's like, oh, I have an ending or I have a sense of what that lesson or parable or, you know, will be. And um, I guess more and more so as I grow as a writer, that there are just new questions. It's not really right or wrong. It's just the questions are shifting. Hmm. Wow, I totally feel that invitation for surrendering wisdom. Yeah, I feel like I just felt like a bit of a burden lift off of my own shoulders. You know, like, because it's such great pressure that we put on poets to be wise. (laughs) And why? Yeah, right. I mean, we don't do that to visual artists. We're not like, you're this incredible artist. You must have all the wisdom of the world. Like, we don't do that. It's a really unique thing that we do, particularly to poets. Um, Mm -hmm. Not even to, like, novelists. No, we ask poets to have the answers. Poets need to have the answers. We need to be wise. We we need to be, like, the crown jewel of literature in some way. (laughs) There is this pressure, right? Like, poets can't be messy in the same ways, you know? Like, novelists get to be drunk rich people, you know? (laughs) (laughs) We're supposed to be, like... I mean, or or sober rich people. (laughs) Or sober, yeah. (laughs) Or very sober, but mean rich people. Um, (laughs) And then we're supposed to be, like, the humble genius maybe a little broke bards of the world you know (laughs) yeah right like what we have traded because we have signed on for an art form that doesn't make us any money we are then supposed to be wise which in reality sounds (laughs) like not the the wisest choice Like you're financially not Not very literate, so you must be wise (laughs) at least. Inner wisdom, inner wisdom. wisdom. Dedicate ourselves to a life of fragments and fragmented checks. That's what we do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The inner wealth. (laughs) Yeah, inner wealth. I got inner wealth. Yeah, you know. Oh my god. Another thing that came up for me listening to that beautiful poem that you started us off with, Ada, was. I know that you've been thinking a lot about artistic community and friendship. uh, And yeah, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what's been on your mind, um, especially, you know, now as everybody is so far away from each other these days. Yeah, I think it's been really important to me to, and I'm sure to you both, to have those kind of friendships where you can talk about poetry and you can engage on levels in which you feel like you're not so isolated. You can share drafts, all of those things. And I've always, I've been very lucky that ever since um, my first graduate class, I've had friends from graduate school that have read my first drafts. We still share everything. Um, Really? Yeah. It's been, it's been really, really lucky. And then throughout the pandemic, I've develop some more friendships that are that feel similar in that way that we you know we're not sharing drafts but we have accountability which is like oh I wrote today and that's kind of it's like oh I got my two hours in or I got my hour in and I have a, an accountability thread with friends for working out I have an account like it feels like there's these ways that we're supporting each other that feels very um it, there's a really tender part of my heart that feels like oh, I'm so grateful that I've been able to develop these communities and and maintain them in this space because I do feel even though I am married my partner does travel a lot and there have been moments where I'm, I'm home for 3 months by myself and um you know I'm just so grateful that we have we can form those communities and I also just I'm thinking a lot about how we look out for each other even just reading poems from young poets right now either judging contests or looking at manuscripts or, you know, teaching, there is a real sense of isolation. There's a real sorrow happening, a grieving happening, a deep loneliness. And I just, I think I'm very aware of it. And I see it in the work that we're producing as poets. And you see it even in the sort of the call outs on social media feeds. It's like people are lonely. I'm just very 
interested in how we need to do some more caretaking and protect each other and reach out to one another. And, and I think we're, I mean, honestly, I think there's a lot of things that we're doing. I love that we're doing all these online readings. You know, I love that the podcasts are still continuing. I love that all of these things are making it so we do still feel like there's a connection, but I think the poets are lonely. (laughs) (laughs) The poets are lonely. The poets are very lonely. Yeah. The poets are lonely and I feel like are being turned to once again, like in the same vein of like being turned to for wisdom, even though like there's not necessarily a reason why. There's so much now more than ever. We need poems. Poems will help us feel more connected. Poems will save save us and stuff. And I guess like I always wonder how the poets I admire feel about that like call to solve everybody else's loneliness when like that's the thing that we are also dealing with. Hmm. I think that's such an interesting point because I do feel like there's a lot of the arts will save us. You know, there's a part of me that really believes that, right? I mean, I believe that poetry can heal us and help us. But I mean, if I'm very honest, I think they can only do that for the poet. (laughs) And then they may, if we're lucky, help someone else or move someone else or inspire someone else or get them out of a rut. But I think it begins with like, I write my own poems to save myself. You know, then if, if in, you know, some series, lucky series of events, a poem becomes larger than me and reaches someone else, that's, that's beautiful, but I don't always know that that's going to happen, right? I have to start by how is this poem recommitting me to the world? Hmm. Has that always been the thing for you? Like, has it always been like save Ada first, save self first? Or is that like a newer thing? No, I think it's always been my way of loving and being in the world. I think it's deeply connected to the fact that I feel much worse. I don't know about you guys, but I feel much worse if I'm not writing. Um, if I'm reading, I'm okay. But if I'm not reading and writing, whoa, <laughs> it's really bad. Um, you know, it's not so much about, of course, I'm talking to a reader, but I'm never thinking I'm going to help you, reader, right? Like, I'm thinking I'm going to help you, Ada. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally, totally. Right. Because also, like, if you start saying I'm going to help you, reader, I feel I like at least for me, I feel like when I start saying that, then the poem kind of starts to suck a Mm -hmm. little bit. Well, then it goes back to the idea of wisdom. Like, who am I to help anybody? Right. You know? Yeah. The most comforting thing I think you can give somebody in a poem sometimes is the fact that you don't know shit either, right? Right. 100%. Um, Once you go to like tell somebody how to have joy, how to do whatever, you're writing self-help, right? And like, and I think that is actually like a line that happens often in like some genres of poetry where I think that's where we start to truly feel i don't buy into the whole sentimental thing but i do think there's such a thing as preachiness you know and like that could be like a sentimental tender preachiness about like this is how you help you but you don't know that shit (laughs) you know it's like um you know like the true empathy of the reader is like let me just like live my human experience out loud a little bit along with you right now i guess Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that is that that's help help is i see you you see me (laughs) yeah a sense of togetherness, a sense of, oh, there's someone else in the world witnessing things. Like, oh, okay, that helps me. You know, not here are five ways to be happy, you know, which, hey, those are great, you know, and those things can really work. But this doesn't always have a place in poetry. Yeah. Well, it seems also like in line with the workout accountability group and the writing accountability group, you know, just to have somebody there with you. Like sometimes that's like... Oh, at least for me, unless I'm like trying to actively learn a new thing from somebody, like if I'm just trying to like continue living and continue doing the work that I do, sometimes I think I just need somebody to be like, hey, did you work out? Oh, cool. Right. Yeah. How are you taking care of yourself? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, And poetry sometimes it's just like, hey, did you grieve? Like, you know, like, (laughs) let's get a a good cry out. (laughs) Did you grieve? Did you look? Did you see? (laughs) <laughs> did you grieve? Did you see? Did you look? Did you hear? 
Like it's always like, how are you experiencing the world? And we need that. We need to be reminded that we are living in the world and that we, you know, even during this isolation and sheltering in place that we have a connection and that Mm -hmm. also in some ways a responsibility to one another. Yeah. Companions and living. That is the thing that is like, I feel like I need the reminder of like that there are people living with me, even if they're very far away and I can't see them, but we're like living together through the world. Yeah. Oh boy. Can't wait um, to touch y'all again though. Uh, I'll say that. I know, I know. Same. <laughs> Same. I miss hugs. I started crying. I don't know if I've already said it. I've maybe said it into Zoom. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast before, but like I cried um a couple weeks ago when just like the guy at the at the bodega by me like cupped his hand under mine to give me the change and like I was just like distraught and I was just like oh that's how bad I miss touch is that yeah the like you know my like old Armenian homie over here like touched my hand and it was just like huh yeah and I think that I think when we even talk about like the poet's loneliness I think of poetry for me as like a a, a um one of the best genres for intimacy um because i think that's what we do poetry so much for at least for me is about connection both with who we love and with strangers and so that's what i'm hoping for poets i guess like i know this will get through this loneliness i hope and i hope as many of us make it through this loneliness as possible um but like just getting back to the casual and also intentional intimacies of the world i think is going to do poetry in general some good because it's for love yeah it's for love (laughs) but it's also it's also really interesting because i love what you said and i was thinking there is a real pleasure or privilege of poetry that we have where we don't actually require much right i think a lot of my friends who are um in the theater or in film and how much work it is for them now to make their art. And I do just want to say shout out to the fact that we can just have a pen and paper. <laughs> you know, even if our computers and our phones fail, we can still write a poem. That's something that I keep being grateful for, that I don't need material delivered. I don't need a big expense account. I don't need, you know, what I, all I need is, you know, uh, a little time and a little focus and maybe some tenderness to myself. Um, But yeah, I think that we are really lucky in that way. And I also think there's some poets who um, are such introverts that they're, they're really riding this out. Okay. You know, (laughs) I mean, they're grieving, they're grieving along with us. They're, you know, all these things, but I think they're such introverts that I think they're like, yeah, I'm doing okay. Everything seems pretty good. This is always how it should have been. We all should have been at home. (laughs) Yeah. They were like, I'm kind of, Glad I'm not being touched. (laughs) I gotta say, I do very much miss people, but it's nice to just not have to explain why I'm going to stay home and do a puzzle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I will say as like an extroverted traveling poet, it like gave me enough stillness to be like, maybe I should buy some fake plants, you know? (laughs) So I like that they're fake. They are, because I'm also a reaper, like you like you were saying <laughs> about your garden. Um, I have no green thumb, and indeed it is black <laughs> like me. Like, I killed a cactus, you know? Like, I'm that type of bad gardener, and so mm-hmm. I'm like, these plastic ones, they're going to be green forever. <laughs> and I have I one plant that I'm keeping alive right now, and if I can keep that one alive by the time summer hits, maybe I'll get some more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. The tester plant. <laughs> <laughs> Should we play games? Tight. Okay, cool. Um, It'd be really funny if we just got cards out. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of want, I've thought about that type of podcast of like, (laughs) even if like you're not like, playing the game really like what would it mean to like have a podcast where like four people are just like playing uno and talking about whatever you talk about while you play uno (laughs) i've been loving playing cards lately so every time you say games i keep thinking like oh yeah like gin rummy like i should get my cards oh i miss gin rummy cameron and i've been playing a lot of gin rummy yeah i love it yeah having a little gin with the gin rummy it's like a perfect you know great is there a gin rum drink somewhere out there that inspired this game no idea that is a great question. And do you ever want to combine gin and rum? I don't know. I don't Isn't know. that what it is? Because yeah. a Long Island I see is just all the alcohol plus a little bit of Coke, yeah. right? That's right. But true. I think it's all the white alcohol. Oh. So it's gin, no vodka. Clear. Wait, yeah. no, there's clear rum. Well, there's clear rum. There's white rum. Yeah. So maybe it is. 
Okay, can I also say I appreciate this trio because all of us assumed for a second that rum was dark. Good choices. <laughs> well, of yeah, course. The rum we drink. <laughs> the rum I drink is dark. It's dark. <laughs> Damn, I haven't bought rum in a little bit. Maybe I'll go buy some rum next time I go to the liquor store. Oh, okay. yeah. I love rum. That's a going out drink. I feel like I order rum other places, but I rarely, not since college, have I like had rum in the crib. Well, can I have a, I have a confession for you. I have a, um, there's a couple things that I've purchased and I'm sure we've talked about this, like the things, the purchase that you've made, the pandemic purchase that's like, that you're like, you know what? It's a pandemic. I'm going to buy this for myself. Um, so mine is a hot tub. Yes. What? That is an amazing pandemic purchase. I use it every night and I swear a cocktail in the hot tub. Oh it's getting God. me through this <laughs> this whole thing. Wait, because it's because I know you have scoliosis like I do. Is it just everything yes. for your back to be there? To everything. Like... <laughs> uh. I'm like, this count as healthcare? <laughs> oh wow! Oh shit! Oh, you're right. Oh my God! Let me fucking ask Princeton. Oh my God! God damn! I can hot. <laughs> Where am I gonna put a hot tub in a one bedroom apartment? I will figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I will say that, you know, a little rum cocktail, a little lime and rum in a in the hot tub is a, I, I'm going to get through the winter. Ooh. I am not a winter person. I needed tools. And one of my tools is the hot tub. That's inspiring to buy a hot tub. It Ugh, is. Yeah, that's an inspiration for the people. All right, Ada, it's time for game time. Are you ready? I'm ready. So the first game we're going to play is called Fast Punch, um, where we're going to give you 10 categories, and you are going to choose whether to give us the best or the worst of all those categories as quick as possible off the top of your head. Um, Ada, would you prefer to be an optimist or a pessimist today? Optimist. Optimist, word. First question, best place to write? My office. Nice. Best Smoothie ingredient. Blueberries. Ooh. Best sound to make when you love a poem. <laughs> a long sigh. Can you do it for us? Like a kind of a gasp, like a <gasps> Yes, mm. yes, yes. Ooh. Wow, that's really good. <laughs> um best um soup. Pozole. Ooh. Best title you ever wrote. Uh, late summer after a panic attack. Mm. Ooh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Um, best snack to eat while writing. Dark chocolate. Mm. Best bookstore or library. Readers Books in Sonoma. I it's a small independent bookstore that I worked at from fifteen on and off from fifteen to twenty one. So that's my favorite bookstore. Best cheese. Oh, that's tough. Okay, Sonoma Dry Jack from Vela Cheese. Ooh, yes. All right, I think we're on the final two questions. Best person to read alongside? Oh, no, I love everybody. Um... <laughs> okay, who would you go on tour with? Like, if you had to, like, be, like, in a car on tour with somebody, who would you go with? I've done it. It's Adam Clay and Michael Robbins, but also, I mean, Jen Knox is one of my favorite people to read with. Jason Schneiderman. Camille Dungy. Mm. Oh, I my want pals. this whole tour. Oh. <laughs> I know. Yeah. These are my pals. Um, okay, last one is best fruit tree. Lemon tree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Ada. Yay, you, you won. won game. <laughs> <laughs> you get a year free subscription to Versus. I just want fasole, <laughs> dark chocolate, lemons. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. My friends. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, l I like that. Just asking poets food questions. <laughs> That's what I'm most interested in. Actually. I love talking about food. Yeah. That could be your new role during this Food, game cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like Carl Phillips, right? Like, this wonderful, beautiful oh, food he makes. I know. I love it. And I love the, I love when he does, when he goes into the musical number. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so great. I love it. 
Oh, I want this is this is more inspiration. We need I want a channel where it's just writers but doing non-writerly things. Like, you know? Yeah. We only air writing from like midnight to six AM, but every other time it's like Carl Phillips cooking. It's Rita Dove helping you organize your life. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Don Lundy Martin doing karaoke. Wow. <laughs> Sam Sachs playing the ukulele. Yeah. Hugh wow. painting. Now I want Don Letty Martin to like host some version of The Voice or something like that. That's we like, we that's one of my groups where we have a karaoke accountability group. <laughs> a karaoke wait like an accountability like you must like we're making sure we sing every day. We have a theme, and we have to practice our songs, and then we do karaoke together as a group. Oh and Don is one of my. Oh, group. I. <laughs> absolutely love that <laughs> that is really cute <laughs> so i have a dance group a karaoke group you know <laughs> i'm i'm a hella performance art nerd over here so you know <laughs> yeah i'm like this is all the theater kid remnants like just coming <laughs> were you a theater kid Mato? were you a theater yeah kid? my degree my undergraduate degree is in drama oh shit Ugh. Um, this versus that. Yeah, two more games and a poem. Then we're out of here. Yep. So now we're going to play um, a game that we like to call this versus that, where we will pit um, two things against each other, and you have to tell us which one will win in a fight, a physical battle. Um, and so for this episode of this versus that, the birds, birds, birds edition, <laughs> um, the question is, who would win in a fight? A frigate bird, a magnificent frigate bird versus a cardinal? Magnificent frigate bird. Really? Oh, I guess they're, they're big. eight foot wingspan. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. What about two magnificent frigate birds versus a happy hour of cardinals? Oh, that would be tough. Whoa, a happy hour. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how many exactly is, there, is a happy know. hour? Like they can be up to 20. Whoa. I still think the magnificent frigate birds might win. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? They're just enormous. Oh, yeah. Are they like ostrich size? No, right? They're like no, like or swan size. Like I guess. Yeah, they're more like uh, the size of like a like pelican. Mm. Oh, pelicans is also fucking niggas up out here. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess cardinals. I don't know if I can imagine cardinals like fighting exactly. I can't really imagine birds fighting unless they're hawks. But yeah, yeah, and yeah, crows. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like crows scrap. Crows definitely Stephanie. They're okay. called a murder well, for sure. All right, you won that one too. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Finally, our last game that we're going to play, which is called so we just played this versus that, which is our standard game that's been a part of this this show since the very beginning. Um, this one is called this versus something else, where you will tell us whether you'd rather live in a world, which is this world as it currently stands with all of the good and the bad, or a different world. Um, and the different world that we will propose to you in exchange for this one is one in which animals can write about us humans, and we can like read and understand their poems, but we can't write about them. Oh, I would love to know what they think. I might choose that world. Yeah? Yeah. Birds could write about you, but you could never write about birds. <laughs> I mean, but if the fact that I could read what the birds wrote, I would love that. I mean, I can imagine right now my my little dog, who's a pug, would just be like, it has been 500 hours since <laughs> I last saw my mother. She went upstairs to do a podcast. And now... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I think her, she would exaggerate everything. Oh no, I oh I just got so sad about that thought. I think she elongates time. I think she's like super <laughs> hyperbolic. She's like, it has been three hundred years since I have had my last meal. <laughs> Wait, so what if dogs do like because it's dog years, right? They like grow yeah. faster or whatever. Oh, yeah. And so there's like also like dog hours. Like if you're gone for the day, the dog literally is like, you have been gone for a week. <laughs> like what? That's what I think. That's what I think she thinks. <laughs> wow. This is the saddest novel. Oh my God. She would write this that over, novel. over ever being able to write a poem about her. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I would. I would. <laughs> That is, I have to say, that is an amazing choice for somebody 
who writes about animals a lot. <laughs> well, amazing. I mean, I've done it, right? So now at this point, I feel like they could have their turn. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I just hope it doesn't backfire because I think in my mind, I just go to like, these birds are rude as shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, some of the birds are like just screaming nasty things at us oh, as yeah. we walk by. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, okay, well, I think that that's it. That's We've it for played us. Played our our new weird game. Thank you for yeah. Thank you for going through that. I liked them all. I liked all of the game. Ada, thank you so much for. I don't know. I'm just. I feel. I feel so much like growth and possibility from this conversation. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. I really appreciate the ask. I know you guys have a lot of a lot of people um, who want to be on the show, and it's nice to. Um, it was nice to be invited. I really, I listen to you guys a lot. It's funny. I feel like I should be folding laundry because I, for some reason, I listen to you guys when I fold laundry. <laughs> <laughs> so I somehow feel like I should be like right now folding laundry. That's really, really funny. <laughs> wow. That is, that's my podcast thing too. As I look shamefully at this pile of clean clothes that's been waiting to be folded for two days. <laughs> yeah. I'm always like, how am I going to get through this? Like, what is going to help me through this? I'm like, okay, versus I can do that. For me and my partner, it's, yeah, it's TV and, like, cocktails for us. I have one cocktail and there is no part of me that wants to fold laundry. That's <laughs> That's been my new quarantine Friday night. Has been like, what? We're going to have a drink and a blunt and do some dishes and some laundry. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually really real. <laughs> I'm like, walk around. I need to go to the club so bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, really. All my dreams, I don't know about you guys, but all my dreams are about... Uh, People, weddings, yeah. parties, like, I'm like, oh, I mean, at least I get to see people in my dreams. Mine are about people, but we're always escaping either a regime, a prison, or a planet. Oh, my stars. A planet? Oh, I wonder what that's about. That seems <laughs> a little too on the nose, actually. It is. It, I literally have been like, I, I have prayed about this. I was like, I want release from these apocalypse oh, escape no. dreams. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a lot. They're, they're continuous. I'm like, like, literally every night I go to sleep, I'm like, where are we escaping oh, from tonight? <laughs> they're not so bad. Like, at some point, there's always like a lull where like the evil is away. And so we just get to kind of oh, like, like kicking in the safe house for a little bit. I love the the kicking in the safe house moment is always very sweet. <laughs> yeah. so Man, I all of my dreams, a lot of my dreams lately have been about my about running into my ex. So yeah, I kind of kind of wish I had um, chilling in the safe house, running from the apocalypse dream. That's a different kind of apocalypse escape yeah. dream. Okay. <laughs> it's still That's an exactly escape dream, though. Yeah. You're no longer my safe house. Oh wow. <laughs> I love it as a title for something. <laughs> I offer it to you. All right. Uh, where can people find more of you? And would you close us out with one more poem? I think I have actually a, maybe a reading every month so far for the spring. So if you go to my website, you can you can look that up. It's adalamone.com. And I'll close that with a poem that I think speaks to many of the things we were just talking about. Um, in my mind, it was written a lot with the idea of what poetry can't do. I can also say that, like, just like for me, this is one of the poems of the year last year. Like, this was like shook the table. Loved it. Thank you. I think it's funny that uh, for me that, of course, a moment of poetry where you feel all you can feel is the failure of poetry. And then, of course, you write a poem about it because that's what poets do, right? So, the end of poetry. Enough of osseous and chickadee and sunflower and snowshoes, maple and seeds, samara and shoot. Enough chioscuro, enough of thus and prophecy and the stoic farmer and faith and our father and tis of thee. Enough of bosom and bud, skin and God not forgetting and star bodies and frozen birds. Enough of the will to go on and not go on or how a certain light does a certain thing. Enough of the kneeling and the rising and the looking inward and the looking up. Enough of the gun, the drama, and the acquaintance's suicide, the long-lost letter on the dresser. Enough of the longing and the ego and the obliteration of ego. Enough of the mother and the child and the father and the child. And enough of the pointing to the world, weary and desperate. Enough of the brutal and the border Enough 
of can you see me? Can you hear me? Enough, I am human. Enough, I am alone and I am desperate. Enough of the animal saving me. Enough of the high water. Enough sorrow. Enough of the air and its ease. I'm asking you to touch me. was our interview with Ada and that was in my opinion one of the best poems to come out last year oh my god end of poetry like that joint is monstrous yeah it's it's so sharp and so smart and so simple and so complicated and I think it's Mm -hmm. Ada at some of her best like I think that she she just she really just knocked that one out of the park and I felt my all of my internal organs just leave my body when she got to that last line and I felt all my poems leave my body like you know as she's doing the poem I'm just like oh yeah I do that oh the friend the acquaintances suicide yep got that okay got that but it gets to that thing of like behind every artist I think like beyond the art is a need I'm asking you to touch yeah (laughs) you know like behind the impetus I found poetry because I needed whatever it was right so like still in the poems I need you to touch me motherfucker oh yeah destroy me Ada destroy me well um Speaking of end of the interview and things, smart things that we might say about poetry, mm-hmm. I have an outro question for you, Dinez, which is um not a not a good question, but I think a worthy one. How many birds is too many birds? This is the question <laughs> right? <laughs> of our time. <laughs> yeah, and just take that, like take it wherever you want to go, like completely open ended. Just how many birds is too many birds? 12. <laughs> Why? <laughs> 12 birds. Why is that too many birds? And for what? To have. Or to just encounter. Oh, to encounter. Like in one tree? Yeah, because I'm thinking like, I don't want 12 birds in my house. And I also don't want to run into 12 birds outside. Because I think 12 is the tipping scale for when you start to lose. <laughs> You know, like two birds fly around, you like, go away, birds, you know? But like in like five, you're like, oh, this is intense. Let me run into this essay real quick, you know? <laughs> but like at 12, I think 12 is when you might not make it out. Wait, but what about <laughs> you know? 12 birds, like 12 little birds sitting in a tree? Okay, you know, little birds, you know, yeah, those you, you talk about, they need a lot. 12 pigeons might fuck you up. Yeah, if 12 pigeons are like, ha- are concentrated, have concentrated their attention. 12 angry you. crows. 12 angry crows is a lot of angry crows. Yeah. Hummingbirds, y'all gonna have to bring, you know, bring all your goons with me, Anya. You know, like, I fuck all y'all up. You know, Robins, you know, bring your whole family, bring your neighbor too. You know, fuck y'all. But, like, pigeons? I don't want it with 12 pigeons. No. 12 dedicated pigeons, like you said. Like, 12 no. dedicated pigeons? <laughs> I don't want 12 dedicated pigeons on my ass. That shit is too much. <laughs> that is a baker's dozen. I don't fucking want. No, no, no. How about you? You have an answer to this question? I, which you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer to this question. I just uh, This is just the question that I felt in my heart was the proper one to ask. I think that maybe my number of birds is a little higher. 20 birds is too many birds. Okay. Like, if 20, like, grackles are sitting in a tree 20 grackles is like it's a lot Mm -hmm. it also sounds like currency in like some like (laughs) like dwarf world (laughs) like you know like That'd be 20 grackles. You know? oh, for that potion, it'd be 20 grackles. 20 for you. grackles. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's the thing. It's like 20 grackles, too high a price. Yeah. It was 11 grackles when I was growing up. So fuck y'all. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. But also, I say 20 grackles, but when Ada was talking to us about Cardinal Happy Hour, I was like, actually, 20 cardinals? That'd be fine. But 30 cardinals might be too many. Okay, that's too many. Like 20 cardinals, like that might be cute. Like you could wear those to prom, you know? Like (laughs) (laughs) just come in with like, you know, 20 little cardinals on your shoulders. You know, they like holding up your train. Be like, what up, bitch? And like 30 is like, bitch, why you bring all the goddamn birds in here? You know, like. (laughs) 
20 is a fit. <laughs> 30, you've caused a commotion. Yeah, no, 20 is Disney. 20 is Disney. 30 is 30 is you have a problem. Or like something, you're like you're well, cursed. I think we had four seasons, so we could have this conversation. Thank you all for um listening to you know, if you want more of this, keep listening to verses, I guess. And uh yeah. yeah. Come back next episode where we'll still be talking about different size, quantity, amounts of birds. Wait, quantity amounts? Nigga, what are you saying? (laughs) Listen, let's just thank people and get out of here before we go insane. All right, I'm going to thank the first bird that was important to me, a yellow king, um, Hmm. big bird. Me. I'm Um, the yellow king. (laughs) You are my yellow king, (laughs) Brandy. Wow. uh, You're you're welcome to this. (laughs) Yeah. um, The things you did on Sesame Street. um, (laughs) Yeah, big bird, big bird. Yeah, that yellow king. Yeah, that Aww. yellow king. Big bird. Um, thank you for teaching me how to spell, even though I still couldn't read after. Although I am mad at Sesame Street, please put it back on PBS. No more um, HBO, Sesame Street. Oh, Give what? the kids what they need. Really? Yeah, right? It's on mm-hmm. HBO? Girl. That's not fair. <laughs> maybe max I don't know. <laughs> um well i want to give a, a shout out to one of my favorite birds which is lammergeier which is um a, a a north african raptor scavenger bird that eats the bones of animals that have been killed and in order to break open the bones and get the marrow they um fly up really high in these canyons carrying huge ass bones and then drop them onto the rocks below so that they crack open and then they swallow bits of bone whole. So thank you, Lammergeiers, for doing that. Who the <laughs> fuck are you? <laughs> We'd also like to thank uh, Idalvi Noriega and Isa Blancas. Thank you to our producer, Daniel Kisslinger. Uh, thank you to you all for continuing to listen to us uh, for one more season of us before it's a season of somebody else. <laughs> Word. Um, make sure you follow us on Twitter at BS the Podcast and like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Cameron Awkward Rich, if you're listening to this, I think Franny wants to drop you from a high no. place and eat your marrow. Never. Leave. I would never. I would I'm never. Sorry. Okay. That's, okay. that's something different. I want to ask you some questions after we get off of here why that's your favorite bird. But we can say. <laughs> right. And I love you, Franny Troy. Bye, y'all. y'all have a good day, y'all. Bye. Bye.